Hey friends, this is Keenan, the Creative Arts Minister at the Christian Church of Carl Junction. And I just want to say thank you for joining us for this podcast. The Christian Church of Carl Junction exists to glorify God by being disciples who make more disciples. We do that by coming to God, thriving in family, and going on mission for His kingdom. We hope that this podcast helps you take next steps in following Jesus with everything that you have. Now, here's today's podcast episode. Good morning. Welcome here to the Christian Church of Carl Junction online. Welcome here joining us. We're so glad to all be together for the third week in our On Demand series. As we were going through the planning for this series, thinking through what are we going to talk about and and which Old Testament events are we going to cover as we're streaming these five events uh, together over this month, we got to this weekend right here. We looked at Samson. I love the story of Samson. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Samson, but I love the story of Samson. And we got here and asked, what are we going to talk about? And there is so much. If you're familiar with Samson, there's so much to talk about. In Judges chapter 13, where an angel shows up to uh, Samson's mother and says, you're going to have a child who's going to be a Nazarite dedicated from the womb to the service of God. That means that he won't touch anything that is dead or unclean. He won't drink any fermented drink or alcohol. He he also will not allow his hair to be cut the day he's born. This Nazarite vow that he would take. We could talk about how in the very next chapter, Samson goes off to a town, he sees a a young woman, and he's attracted to her, and he goes to his parents, and he says very tactfully to them, I like her, go get her. And how his parents do. They go and they arrange this marriage to happen, and and how Samson goes off to this wedding. As as he's on his way to, to see her, he sees a young lion come to him on the path, and Samson being a little bit extra strong, sees the young lion coming and says he catches the lion with his bare hands and he tore it apart as though you would tear a young goat. I don't know how many goats you have to tear to know how to tear a young goat, but he did. And he, he tore this lion apart. Then he continues on. And he, he goes to his wedding feast and there's this, this group of 30 guys that are, are in a contest with him. He gives them a riddle. He thinks they'll never figure it out, but his, his new bride tricks him into revealing the answer and so he tells her she betrays him they come back with the answer now he owes his his deal his bet 30 pieces of clothes these 30 people well instead of going out and shopping and buying 30 sets of clothing samson goes off and he kills 30 people takes their clothes and gives it to them and then he goes off to pout he's gone for a while he eventually decides he's over it, so he, he's going to go see his young bride who he basically abandoned at the wedding, and he takes off to go see her. Along the way, he collects a little gift. I don't, I don't know any, anybody's been married in here, husbands especially, husbands online. I don't know, but when your wife's upset, you, you might get her a little gift. So Samson gets a little gift to take along of a young goat. That wouldn't work in my house. He's carrying it along, and he gets there and finds out she's been given to another man to be married. Well, Samson goes off angry again, and he begins to concoct this special kind of vindictiveness, and he decides to go ahead and spend all of his free time catching foxes. And he catches all these 300 foxes. He catches, and he, he, I don't know how long it takes to catch 300 foxes. They are fast. 
They're little. They don't run in herds of 300. I don't know. But he catches 300 foxes, puts them in a cage, and then he goes into the cage. He takes these foxes. Somehow he manages to tie their tails together, lights them on fire, sends them off to burn all the crops up. Vindictive. Not to be outdone, the people of the town go and burn his house there and his wife to death to the ground. Special kind of vindictiveness in the story. Sin just makes more sin. Well, Samson goes on, and he goes off to kind of mope by himself for a while, and they come to, to get him, and uh, long story short, he picks up the jawbone of a donkey, and he kills a thousand people with it. Samson is a different kind of dude. We're talking through all these things, though, and then we get to Judges 16, and this is where we got to talk today. Judges 16, and this is what we land on. It's, it's the, uh, the whole chapter is the account of Samson and his relationship with a lady named Delilah. Samson and Delilah. And we're going to read this because in Samson's life, by the time we get to Judges 16, he's pretty well gone off the rails with good and evil and sin and following God. He's pretty much off the rails. He's shipwrecked his faith and his life at this point. But it's never been one moment. I don't think Samson ever, you can point to one moment and say, that's it. That was the moment that Samson threw it all away. That was the moment that Samson decided just to turn away from God fully. As we read through here, it's really more a series of small steps that he takes. These small steps that slide him into sin and away from God. And in Judges 16, we can see three small steps play out. And I want to talk about them with you this morning, right? Before I jump into Judges 16, verse 1, I'm going to pray that God would convict our hearts and pull us back from the brink of sin. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the life of Samson. I thank you for using Samson even though he was imperfect and he was a flawed individual. Because, Father, in that alone, we see that we can be used even though we are imperfect and flawed people ourselves. I pray this word this morning, you would convict and challenge us so we would leave here today empowered, encouraged, and emboldened to live as you. To resist the temptations of the enemy and to follow you. And, Father, I pray that because we do that, your kingdom would grow. Your will would be done. And people would come to know you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In Judges 16, verse 1. This is what we read. One day, one day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. And he went in to spend the night with her. And I have a theory here. I have a theory as we start into this. And my theory is that Samson did not go to Gaza specifically looking for a prostitute. I don't think Samson went to Gaza thinking, I'm going to find a prostitute to spend the night with. I think Samson went to Gaza just flat out looking for trouble. At this point in his life, he has fully embraced his own power and arrogance and strength. And I think at this point, he is playing with the Philistines. He's been fighting them for a long time. He's just messing with them. And he went to Gaza where he knew they hated him. He knew they wouldn't like him. I think he just got bored. So I'm going to go. See what happens. He was really, in a way, tempting himself, putting himself in a position where he knew he often fell into anger and these fits of rage and all these things. He was tempting himself, just saying, I'll see what happens here when I go to Gaza. 
And while there, he saw this lady, this prostitute, would spend the night with her. He went off to tempt himself. Just before I go any further, if, if you've been tempting yourself with whatever, I think God would look at you in the eyes and just say two simple words. Just stop it. All right, just stop it. Just the, the enemy, Satan, he does enough to tempt you. You don't need to attack yourself. It, whatever it is for you, if it's, maybe it's a, a substance, an alcohol, or it's pornography or something, whatever it is, if you know that tempts you, then just stop going where it is. Stop logging on to your phone or your computer at late at night by yourself. Stop tempting yourself. Satan does a good enough job on his own. He doesn't need your help. Maybe it's not that for you. Maybe for you it's, it's you know, that social media where you can get on there and you can find somebody any time of the day, any time of the night, willing to argue about anything in the world. And you just kind of like to argue. Politics, culture, religion, things. Just stop tempting yourself to put yourself in positions where you start arguing and doing meaningless, mindless things. Whatever it is, stop tempting yourself. It won't lead anywhere better for you than it did for Samson. Because the next sentence says, the people of Gaza... The people of the town, they were told, Samson is here. And so they surrounded the place, and they lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. And the, the text would lead us to believe that the entire city now has arrayed themselves in a trap to catch Samson. And I think that's not far from the truth. They hated him. The whole town was willing to stay up all night to catch Samson. Because he was a prize to be defeated. It says they made no move during the day, or during the night. And they said, at dawn, we'll kill him. They hated him. They wanted nothing more than to see Samson dead. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. See, he knew there was trouble. He knew he was in a place where they hated him. He knew there was a place where he's going to have to fight. Something's going to go on. So he, he woke up, set his alarm for the middle of the night, and he woke up. And it says he got up, he went out, he took a hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts, and he tore them loose, bar and all. So remember, this is where the whole city is laying in wait for him. The whole town is at the gate, surrounding it, thinking, at dawn, when he stumbles out of the house, rubbing the sleep out of his eyes, headed home for the day, and he's half tired and half asleep, that's when we're going to catch him. And so Samson gets up in the middle of the night, he walks out to where the whole town is set up, he looks him in the eye, and he rips the doors off. He doesn't argue with them. He doesn't fight them. He doesn't wave at them and walk past them and go through like, you can't touch me and go on home. He just looks at them. He turns and rips the doors off the city. And he lifted them on his shoulders and he carried them to the top of the hill that faced Hebron. That's cold. He just goes out, looks him in the eye and says, the thing that you think gives you security and strength, the thing that you think protects you from other towns, other nations, other armies, wild animals, attack, robbers, all these things, I'm just going to carry it away because it's nothing to me. He walks up on top of the hill, 
because it wasn't enough for Samson to simply knock the doors off the hinges and leave. It wasn't enough for Samson to simply pick him up and put him down and leave. He carried them up on top of the hill. He planted them on the hill, and he stared down in challenge to them. The first step towards sin Samson takes in this chapter is taunting his enemy. Samson taunted the enemy. It wasn't enough to defeat them. It wasn't enough to escape them. It wasn't enough to avoid them. He wanted to rub in their face how much more incredibly strong he was than they were. He wanted to point and rub it in that he had complete control and mastery over them and he could do whatever he wanted, including tearing the doors off their entire city. Samson taught in his enemy. I don't know, do you find yourself in a place where you're taunting the enemy? I think sometimes we're more careless with our words than we intend to be, myself included. And we, in our past, we dealt with some kind of sin issue, some kind of a thing, whatever it was, and maybe you got help through, through counseling or through a, a thriving body of believers, a church where you were a part of, you are a part of still, and Maybe it was through a friend that held you accountable. It's through the Word and through praying the Holy Spirit, and you've overcome that sin. You've walked away, and it's been weeks, months, years even now, and you've been away from that, but now you've gotten to a point, and you're like, it's no big deal. Look what I did. Satan, you have no control over me. We kind of taunt him. I just need to offer a word of warning. If you begin taunting Satan, he has more guns to aim at you. Samson taunted the enemy because he thought he was greater than any attack that came against him. But let's keep reading here because Samson's going to continue to slide. The next verse says, Sometime later now, Samson fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Now, this is not the first time Samson had trouble with a woman. Remember the, the moment I talked about where he got married, the riddle, he killed 30 people, he gave their clothes, he came back, he lit the foxes on fire, and he killed the crops, and then she got burned to the ground, and he had to kill a 1,000 people. He's had trouble with women before. That's girl problems right there. A little drama. It's not the first time. But for whatever reason, now that all happened, and Samson came out of the cave where he'd been hiding. He killed the thousand people and he went on his way. And now he comes in this place here and he sees in the valley of Sorek a beautiful woman named Delilah. And he thinks, it'll be different this time. And he rationalized the same old sin that he had always been dealing with. Samson rationalized it. I'm in control now. I'm better now. I've learned now. I've grown now. It'll never happen again. How many times have you, have I, have we rationalized the same old sin, the sin that we were in, whatever it was, whatever temptation, whatever bad relationship, whatever thing, whatever problem we had, we come out of it, and it goes days, weeks, months, years, we think back on it, and we think, you know what, I've grown now. I think I'm, I've learned. I'm stronger. I won't let it happen again. I'll fix this. It'll be better. I'm in control now. No one can make this happen to me because I'm better now. And we step willingly right back in to the sin that wrecked us before because we rationalize it all. And we keep sliding closer and 
closer to a place we never wanted to be. Uh, back in the text, let me, let me talk about this relationship. It says, the rulers of the Philistines, they went to Delilah, and they said to her, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Decent amount of money. They're all going to pay her. Show us, find out how we can trick him, tie him up, subdue him, capture him, defeat him, kill him. Let us know. Now, I would like to think, I would like to think that if, if y'all, if you guys, right, if y'all went to my wife and you said, Grace, tell us the secret of Adam's great power. See, I like to think of mighty strength. Tell, tell us the secret of Adam's mighty strength and how we might tie him up and subdue him. I would like to think that she would tell y'all to get lost. But not Delilah. See, Delilah, she starts to count the people and multiply by 1,100 shekels of silver each. And it tells us, so Delilah said to Samson, because Delilah's thinking about Delilah. You know, when you love someone, you think about their best interests. When you're mixed up in lust and infatuation, you think about your own best interests, and that's where Samson and Delilah both are. Delilah says to Samson, tell me, the secret of your great strength. Now, if she stopped right there, he might be flattered. This might be, be a flattering thing like, oh, you think I'm strong. You've noticed my muscles. Look at this. But she didn't. Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And I would like to think that Samson might have a red flag go up. But he doesn't. Or... He doesn't care because he's become so enamored with his own strength, his own power. He thinks, nobody can touch me anyway. This is a game to Samson. Samson is playing with sin. Playing with sin. Now, I've heard it said that playing with sin is like playing with fire. Actually, truthfully, playing with sin is way worse than playing with fire because fire can burn this body right here and hurt for a while here, but playing with sin can hurt us for all of eternity. Samson is playing with sin right here. He doesn't care. He's in the game. So Sam, Samson answers her. He says, well, uh, if anyone ties me uh, with, and I think he starts to look around the house maybe because he's just playing the game. He's, he's just messing with her. Uh, if anyone ties me, you see some bowstrings. With seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, they've got to be wet, I'll become as weak as any other man. Oh, weird answer, Samson. But Delilah buys it hook, line, and sinker. So the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. And with men hidden in the room, she calls to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. Just like that. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Well, I would... Again, I'd like to think that that morning, Samson would get up and just say, I'm out of here, Delilah, and go on home. But Samson doesn't because he's playing the game still. So Delilah then says to Samson, because she's playing her own game, she says, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. 
okay. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. Still kind of a weird answer. So Delilah then took some new ropes, and she tied him with them, and then with men hidden in the room, she calls to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. No big deal. Delilah then says to Samson, All this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. She's trying to make him trust her ironically by tying him up repeatedly. He replies, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom, I assume there was a loom in the room and he saw it, and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah, as weird as that answer sounds, believed it. Maybe the angel showed up to his mom before he was born and said, he'll be a Nazarite from birth. He cannot drink anything fermented, not touch anything dead. And don't let anybody weave your hair into a loom. Maybe that's the answer. So she, she buys it. And it says that while he was sleeping, now Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove him into the fabric, and tightened it with the pin. Now he's really either the world's heaviest sleeper or he's just messing with her. Playing possum. Because it's all the game he's playing. Again, she calls to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from the sleep and pulled the pin and the loom with the fabric. And then she says to him, how can you say I love you? when you won't confide in me. This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. And suddenly, for Samson, the game was no longer fun. He was over it. It had lost its luster. The shine was off, and he was not having fun anymore messing with Delilah and the Philistines. And so, verse 17 says, he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. Now why would Samson possibly ever tell this woman anything? He can't possibly trust her. I often tell people, I'm a, I'm a learner. I'm a slow learner, but I'm a learner. Well, Samson's not a learner. And he keeps getting tricked over and over in this whole thing. Why would he possibly tell her unless he thinks the whole thing about God's power and the hair and the Nazarite vow and the angel and the story from when he was in the womb still is just kind of made up and silly. And His heart has grown so hard toward people and himself and God even that he thinks he can just do whatever he wants whenever he wants and no one can touch him he tells her everything complete arrogance and pride and when Delilah saw that he had told her everything she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines come back once more he's told me everything and so the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands after putting him to sleep on her lap she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so he she began to subdue him, and the strength left him. Step number three. Samson assumed that his own strength would never, ever possibly fail him. 
His own strength would never fail him. It would always be there. He would always be strong. He would always be in control. He would always be able to get out of any and every situation because of how great he was at things. How often do we assume that about ourselves? We forget that every single thing we've ever done is because God gave us the ability to do that. Every skill we have, every talent we have is from God. Every blessing we have is from God. Every opportunity we have is from God. We forget so quickly that every single thing we have is from God. And we assume that we earned it. We did it. We deserved it. We forget. Samson assumed it was all from him. So she called out, Delilah did. Samson, the Philistines, they're upon you. He woke from his sleep and he thought, I will go out as before and shake myself free because, remember, he thought it would never happen to him. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. How sad is that? How many times have you, have I, have we, have somebody we known, have we gotten so far off the rails, so far into the pit, into the hole, we've hit rock bottom, and then we hear this little voice, maybe it's our own, saying, I just didn't know how far gone I was. I just didn't know how messed up I was. I just didn't know how far I'd gone from what I wanted for my life. He didn't even know that God had left him. And then the Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes, and they took him down to Gaza the same place where this all started. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. The same place where just a little bit before, in fact, about 20 verses before or so, Samson had woken up in the morning, in the middle of the night, he'd gone out to the city gate, he'd stared him in the eye, ripped the doors off to say, you have no power over me, no authority over me, no control over me, I have your security in the palm of my hand, I'll do what I want with you, carried to the top of the hill to taunt them, planted it, threw him on the ground, left it, now, 20 verses later, he's blind, tortured, grinding grain in the prison, in a place he never thought he would be. I'm confident that when Samson was in Gaza, he knew where the prison was. He'd seen it. I mean, he'd walked past it. He knew where he was. He knew what was going on. He never thought he would be there. But that's what sin does to us. It slides us into a place we never thought we would be. And then we don't know how to get out. I'd ask you three questions. Question one. Have you been taunting the enemy? Have you been flaunting your current status, your current state, your current freedom in life in the face of the enemy, thinking he has no more attack he can possibly level at you because you're better than all that now. You've outgrown all that now. Have you, number two, have you been rationalizing the same old sin? Do you keep going back and going back and going back and going back to the same thing that messed you up a hundred times before, thinking this time will be different? This time will be better. This time I'm in control. Are you rationalizing the same old sin? And number three, have you been assuming that your own strength will never fail you? that you have the power, you have the security, you have your own safety in the palm of your hand. If you answer yes, or maybe, or I have to think about it a little bit, to any of those questions, then you are dangerously close to failing. Not failing a, a task, but 
failing in life with your eternity. You are perilously close to going off the rails. You are terrifyingly close to ending up in a place that you don't want to be in anymore. I want to pause Judges chapter 16, and I want to share with you just a few words that the Apostle Peter said in the New Testament. Let me share this with you here. Let me share this. This is how the enemy gets us. It's 1 Peter. It's his first letter, the fifth chapter, the eighth verse. This is how the enemy gets us and captures us and holds us. Peter writes, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Do you know how Satan catches you? Do you know how Satan gets you in his grasp? Do you know how he devours you and captures you and tortures you? Do you know how it is? There's really just four little steps. He lets you get a false sense of pride. He lets you get a false sense of security so you can taunt him a little bit. Because when we get a little bit of pride, we let our guard down. We're told in the word of God to resist the devil and he'll flee from us. But when I get a false sense of my own pride and strength and I let that down and I don't resist quite as much, what he does is he, he convinces you that this time the sin won't be so bad. He tricks you into thinking that you're in control of things and then you know what he does. He devours you. He comes in for the kill. Samson, earlier in his life, was walking down a road, and a young lion came out of him. I told you this. And he caught it with his bare hands, and he ripped it in pieces, and he killed the lion. He defeated it because he was looking for a lion. He was ready on the path. Satan prowls around in the darkness, lulling you into a false sense of pride, convincing you it won't be the same this time, tricking you into thinking you're in control of things. And then when your guard is down, he stinks up from behind and stabs you in the back. It captures your soul, gouges your eyes out, and drags you to a place and puts you in prison, grinding grain in a place you never thought you would be. But thankfully for you, and thankfully for Samson, the story's not quite over yet. The very last verse of Judges chapter 16 says, but then the hair on Samson's head began to grow again. Then the hair began to grow again. I have this theory, again, of my own that all these days, weeks, however long it was that Samson's in this prison here while his hair is beginning to grow again, all these times he's in there, as he goes around the wheel of the grinding again and again and again and again, he's stumbling his way around here, shackled to it, and with a small little voice, I think he's talking to God. He's completely humbled now. There's no pride in him. He's let it all go. It's all been taken and stripped from him. And now he's in a place he never thought he would be. And I wonder if I theorized that Samson just in this moment was talking to God saying, I just wish I had one more chance to serve you. I just wish I had one more chance to return to you. I just wish I could take back all the things and for one more moment live for you. I just wish, I just wish, I just wish. And as his hair grew... Samson realized it wasn't about the hair. It was what the hair symbolized. And as Samson renewed his dedication to God, 
the Lord restored the power to Samson. It goes on in the next chapter to say, Samson then was brought out one day, he was chained between two pillars, to entertain the Philistines and the pagan worship, the temple. And he prayed to God, just give me strength one more time, and the Holy Spirit gave him the strength, and he pushed the pillars over, the temple collapsed, and it says that day, remember Samson's, his, his job, his purpose was to fight and to free the Israelites from the Philistines to fight them. And on that day, Samson killed more Philistines in that one day than he had in his whole life. The good news is, no matter how many small steps of sin you've taken, I've taken, we've taken, that we've gotten into a place that we didn't want to be, never thought we could be, no matter how many steps we've taken, it's not over. It's not too late. There's some more words from the Apostle Peter. He says in his second letter, the third chapter, the ninth verse, he says, the Lord is not slow. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. I have to think that Samson, while he's going around the wheel again and again and again, praying to God, let me free again, set me free, give me strength, let me serve you again. I have to think that maybe he thought, this is taking a long time. Sometimes when we get drugged to a place in our sin that we never wanted to be and we just want to escape, we just want to be free, we just want to live for God again, we think sometimes, well, this is taking a really long time. This is taking a bit longer than I thought God would need. But Peter says the Lord's not slow like you think of slowness. He's not slow like you understand it. Rather, rather, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance, to the change of thinking about those small steps of sin, the change of thinking about ourselves and about God so we can live for him. The Lord is not slow. He is patient, not wanting you to die. No matter what you've done, where you've, you've arrived, what small steps you've taken of sin in your life, no matter what, it's not too late as long as you're drawing breath in this world here there's still a chance and as we renew our dedication to the lord he restores our purpose to us our future to us i want to invite you if you've not been following jesus well i want to invite you to renew your dedication to the lord today that might be the first time for you to give your life to Jesus. That might be a return to Jesus. I want to invite you to renew your dedication to the Lord today. At this church, we, the first time we surrendered to Jesus, were baptized into water. Our past is forgiven. All those small steps of sin are forgiven. And then we come out of the water full of the Holy Spirit so that we can fulfill the purpose, live the life, do the good works that your prepared in advance for us to do. I want to invite you for the first time to follow Jesus I want to invite you to return to him for the hundredth time, maybe. You might be right now feeling blind and tortured in a prison of, your, of not your own making, and you want to get out of that. I want to invite you to rededicate your life to Jesus today so you can take a step out of it. If you're online today, I want to invite you to send a, a message or comment right now. We'll talk to you. We'll help you walk through that. We'll try to meet with you and pray with you through the process. If you're in the room here, I'd love for you to come to the Next Steps table in the lobby as soon as we start singing in a moment, take that next step. And for all the rest of us that have been following Jesus too, maybe you don't feel like you've taken the steps and you're in a prison of your own making your sin right now, 
But you know where the sin is in your life. You know where the lacking is in your life. You know where the wanting is in your life. I want to invite you, challenge you today to change the way you think about all those little steps and to renew your life in the Lord so you can restore the power that he made you to wield in this world as you take his kingdom with you, his spirit with you, and share his words, gospel with others. I challenge you, as we're sent from this place today, to live as one restored, renewed. Let's pray. Father God, I ask you right now to be lifting the burden of sin off of us, I ask you, Father, that that as we come to you right now and we lay the the sin, the small steps, the little slippery things at your feet, as we lay those down, I want to ask you to remove those from us, Father. You sent your Son from heaven to earth because you so loved us that you don't want us to die, you want us to live. He died on the cross to take all that away. And he came out of the tomb to give us life. And Father, I pray right now we would be experiencing that, all of us in this room, at home, everywhere we are. And I pray, Father, that we would leave this time of worship today to go on a mission with a power and authority from your kingdom, ready to share your good news so that others who feel trapped, imprisoned, blinded by their sin, others can be set free as well. Because we carry the gift of life in your name. Jesus, I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Christian Church of Carl Junction podcast. If you're looking to take next steps in following Jesus, please email me at Kenan at cccj.church. And I would love to connect with you in taking your next step in following Jesus.